Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello, good evening. Welcome to this week's Man on the Post Extra Time. I'm your host, I'm Chris. Uh, we've got a full house this week. Uh, with We've got Alex, you right? Yeah, very well, thank you. Good. Uh, we've got Laura. Hello. How are you? Yeah, fantastic, thanks. You're brushing up on your Mary Whitehouse experience, have you? <laughs> yeah, thanks to you. <laughs> uh, we've got Mark. Evening. He's been on holiday with my mum, by the sounds of it. Yeah, yeah. Great time had by all. Yeah, excellent. All. <laughs> uh, and we've got Ryan Hello Alright Yeah not bad thanks Good excellent right uh, We're going to show Pack with all sorts this week We've got um, We're going to start with a tribute to Johan Cruyff first of all We've also got some World Cup qualifying We've got some League 1, League 2 uh, And we've got our Premier League 5 aside team final Which uh, I think might spark some debate um, First of all we'll start with Johan Cruyff Uh there's lots of tributes to him today. He's died age 68 of uh, lung cancer. Um, his honours as a player were eight Eredivisie titles, uh, one title with final as well, one La Liga Barcelona, four Ballon d'Ors. Um, as a manager, he won four La Ligas in a row with Barcelona between 1990 uh, One European Cup win with Barcelona in 1992. Alex, who scored the winner in that game? Ronald Koeman. Well done. Uh, one Cup Winners' Cup and was named in the 2013 World Soccer Magazine um, All-Time 11. Uh, and Holland versus France, when they play, will have a minute silence in the 14th minute, which is rather touching. Um, guys, what are your memories of Johan Cruyff? Probably more as a manager, I should imagine, than as a player. Maybe except Mark. Uh, well, he came a little bit... His, his playing years came before mine, but... Um... I think that kind of gave him a mystique when he was a manager, um, you know, and, and the media and the television talked about how great he was as a player. And, and back when I was young, that you know, you never saw half the clips that you're able to see these days of him. Um, but as a player, I think he's, you were saying about world soccer advertising and uh, voting him as um, one of the, into a world 11. I think you've got to put him in perhaps the top five players of all time, well, certainly the top 10 players of all time. Um, and, Probably, in terms of icons, there are very few footballers who could be classed as a as a bigger icon than him, and what he was in the sort of very late sixties and into the seventies. Um, Barcelona, what they are now, wouldn't be what they are without Johan Cruyff and the influence he brought both as a player as a, and as a manager. Um, and you know, you think back. Certainly, the first great Barcelona team I can think of was the late eighties, early nineties dream team of. Romario, Guardiola, Koeman, um, <clears throat> uh, who else played for them at the time? Stoichkov. Yeah, uh, Laudrup, I think, played there all at the same time, and they were a hell of a team, weren't they? Guardiola. Um, you know, yeah, Guardiola said him. 
Um, and so you think about everything he brought to the game of football as a whole, he wasn't just a very good footballer. What came after him was probably a lot different to what came before him. Yeah, Graham Hunter said, no Cruyff, no Dream Team, no Cruyff, no Cantera, no Cruyff, no Juan Laporta, no Cruyff, no Frank Reichard, no Cruyff, no Pep Guardiola. Is that fair enough? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No no Cruyff and, and no what this, this, this Barcelona entity that we see now, this global brand and Messi and everything, all these great players that have played for them, they wouldn't be there without Cruyff, I don't think. No. Alex, um... This sort of image of him with his long hair, orange shirt, this sort of orange long sleeve shirt. He's a very cool looking player, wasn't he? Yeah, and and I think that's something that's that's really brilliantly touched on in David Winner's book, um, Beautiful Orange, which is certainly one of the best books I've read on football, and and states how Cruyff became an icon for. The, the changes that were occurring in Dutch society at the time as it became more liberal and people felt that, that they could express themselves more culturally, artistically, and, and he was a sort of footballing metonym for that process. Um, I think he... I, I agree with Mark in, in terms of him being among the top five footballers of all time, but I'd say in terms of his influence on on football he's he's got to be considered the the most influential um figure to, as far as i'm concerned anyway if you look at the other two players that that are probably up there um in terms of personal talent pele and, and maradona they haven't had the same sort of of legacy influence that cruyff has had in terms of of everything from youth development to um total football um all of the the coaches like Rijkaard, Guardiola, um, that he's influenced. Um, and then also potentially people like, you know, Xavi and Iniesta, who may well go on to coach as, as well. Um, everything that is at Barcelona now, but also the, the kind of the mystique of Dutch football, um, who are, you know, arguably one of the most popular football teams among neutrals and, and the kind of the, the heroic failure of the 74 World Cup. All, all of this, I think, aggregates to to putting him as, as the most influential footballer of all time, if not the best. Yeah. Um, Laura and Ryan, would you like to hear this? the rest of this team that World Soccer Magazine put in? Yeah. yeah. You've got Levi Ashen in goal. You're, this is a 4-4-2. Then you've got Cafu, Maldini, Beckenbauer and more. Uh, Maradona, Zidane, Cruyff, Di Stefano and Pelé and Messi up front. That's not bad, is it? That's decent. <laughs> <laughs> not bad. Um, your two memories of him. Anything you guys want to say? I don't really remember much about him other than the when he was Barcelona manager, and that was the very early days of me supporting, me starting to really take notice of football. Mm. Um, but. That Barcelona team changed the way that Barcelona played forever. Yeah, the way they play then is is how they are now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. His, his legacy it lives on. Yeah, I'm very sorely missed. Um, more bad news today. Uh, Adam Johnson um, jailed for a total of six years um, for his uh, for his various crimes. Um, Anyone think he's going to play again? I, I highly doubt it. Yeah. Although, I mean, I suppose 
Chad Evans had that whole thing and he ended up playing again in some capacity. So I suppose the option's always going to be there. Mm. But I, I think it's going to be very difficult. He definitely won't get to anywhere near a, a, a team in sort of a top division or anything like that unless it, even people trying to get him from sort of maybe in like Qatar or something. Um, but playing again after six years would be very, very difficult anyway. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, I, I doubt he'd come back. I, I don't think he'd want to. One thing I've got from this is I hope Sunderland get relegated and never come up again for a very long time. Yeah, it's it's very difficult. That I mean that I I know I know Sunderland fans, several Sunderland fans who are who are good people and and were were pretty appalled when all of that came out. I think there's you have to you have to draw a distinction between a, a pretty egregious mistake by the people that were running the club. Um, and, and bearing in mind, this is going off what was said by Johnson's own QC. Uh, in terms of them being aware of what he was planning to do or his admissions um, prior to the trial um, and and the club itself as an entity and all of the fans that support it um, I, I think it's difficult to 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 hold everything that the club means to account for the mistake of, of an individual there um, personally yeah I, I, I see what you mean what you're saying with that I also remember the um, he shags who he wants chant as well yeah okay that that's that's a fair point yeah <laughs> and that was by a fair few people that were singing that as well i don't know but I then just, i mean football football fans are, or a proportion of football fans have the ability to be profoundly unpleasant given any opportunity oh of you know, course yeah you only have to look at chelsea racism or um, paedophile jokes by anybody that's playing Arsenal or, or whatever it is you know I think again it, it would be wrong to, to slate an entire club for the actions of a few yeah is this a wake up call for football there's this you know you can imagine in times past this would have been sort of try and sweep it under the carpet um, we'll keep him playing because we've got to look after our own and you know automatically stick by your player as a matter of default like Liverpool did with Suarez and the racism and all that sort of thing is this some kind of watershed moment and clubs have got to really become a bit more accountable when things like this happen it's a difficult thing to 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 sort of judge because you're assumed innocent until proven guilty and until they've actually been to court and the evidence has been presented then by rights the clubs should really stick stick by them even if they've seen evidence to say otherwise. Well, this is it. Well, they clearly had seen evidence and he'd already admitted to doing certain things with this girl. So, yes, the the Sunderland do have to admit some culpability and they shouldn't have let him play yeah. because they knew he was guilty of some form of grooming at that point. They perhaps didn't know the entire... Um, the entire story. I mean, it's come out today that he he's had bestiality. They found bestiality um, videos on his on his laptop as well. You see that? Mm. Yeah. So I mean, I can't imagine that they've heard the full story, Sunderland, but they heard enough to suspend him. Yeah. Wow. Anything you want to add? Um, you you mentioning about um, the clubs becoming more, more accountable for what goes on with the players when they're away from the 
away from the pitch or away from training or whatever, surely it's about time that, that it's the players actually who should be accountable for their actions. And, mm. you know, a lot of them have been getting up to all sorts of mischief, most of which we, we, we as the general public would love to know, but we're, we're never going to know. I mean, we all love a bit of salacious tittle-tattle, don't we? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's I think it's the club's responsibility to almost to raise the players to be adults, rather than just give them money and and keep your fingers crossed that um, they don't get up to anything. It's that they have to be able to raise these people from children to become adults, and I think there's a gap in their development that that seems to happen in football where they they miss out on that step and. Perhaps it's money and lack of responsibility that they have in their lives that that cause them to do some of these reckless and stupid and antisocial things that they do. Yeah, I think I saw one thing today though um, to say that football players obviously come in for a lot of um, grief at times like this um, because you know overpaid, pampered millionaires and all that sort of thing, but. Someone did point out the fact that um, you will not hear about Mesut Ozil paying for medical treatment for 23 Brazilian children, the Didier Drogba Foundation, um, and other such things like that as well. The, it, it's not indicative of footballers by any stretch of the imagination, is it? No, I, I agree with that. And I, I, think, I think footballers, to an extent, because of the money involved and also because they are taken in by the clubs at such a young age and cosseted um, are, are perhaps particularly prone to not growing up. But I think we have to remember that, that Johnson's crimes are crimes that are committed by, uh, and I'm in no way seeking to excuse him, he's clearly an utterly vile and reprehensible individual, but... There are priests, police officers, teachers, army officers, all manner of people are are committing these sorts of offences. And I think as well, if you look at other sports, you you have rugby players that are, are guilty of, of various offences as well, whether it's violence or, or sexual proclivity, which may not be an offence. But I, I think it's a, it's a sort of an odd... Um, uh, I think I think people are very keen to dive in on this being a a football problem, and I think it's it's actually very sadly a, a problem that is much much more widely present in society. Um, I think we live in an overtly misogynistic society. Um, I think that that the way that young women are treated is appalling, and and I think that football is a a very visible and in some ways explainable. Um, facet of that but I think we I think everybody kind of needs to look at, at their own responsibilities in these sorts of instances and not just take the easy option of blaming one person because they're in the public eye yeah okay um right one more bad news story and then we can move on to other things but uh events in Brussels this week um does this have any implication or any effect over the Euros coming up in the summer? You've got large pe- groups of people gathering in France that have already seen several attacks and plots. Um, police have to get lucky lots of times. The terrorists only have to get lucky once. Does this have any implication on the summer? Yeah, it's got a massive implication. Um, I, I I used to be a police officer, Um and and regularly policed 
uh, football matches in, in North London when I was a public order trained officer in the Met. And they are extraordinarily vulnerable targets. Um, I also had the privilege of working at the Rugby World Cup where security was pretty minimal until a couple of base jumpers got in. Uh, and I don't know if anyone saw the, the YouTube clip of this, but they jumped off the top of Twickenham Stadium. And they, they, they did nothing other than that. But it was the day before I think some of the royal family were due to attend. And, and then all of a sudden security went up and there was random bag searching and stuff of that nature. But the, the simple fact is when there is a, a large volume of people together in one place and those people are all moving around and some or many of them are, are drunk and um, coming and going, it, it's extraordinarily difficult. And I think the security services will be bluntly shitting themselves um, about it quite what they're going to be able to do I, I don't know because that that adage that you you said about luck is is absolutely right um and and it would be terrible but to me not at all surprising if there were some sort of event uh, at the euros it's not just the stadiums though is it because you can you can increase security around the stadiums all you like but you think of all the public transport hubs mm. that there are going to be um there's just not going to be enough people around to to stop even a loan attack. Well, I was thinking fan no. parks as well. Um, you can just walk yeah. in and see a big screen and, and all this sort of thing. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember policing um, the Wigan-Millwall FA Cup semi-final um, where the Millwall fans uh, decided to fight among themselves, unusually, rather than involve anybody else in it. Um, and my my serial and another one which is effectively 12 officers were, were trapped in the concourse between most of the Millwall fans and then a group of about 100 that had gathered on the other side of that it took 15 minutes for anyone to get to us and that's in Wembley Stadium for a small bit of crowd trouble um, where there was no significant danger to anybody uh, you just kind of I, that, it really causes me to worry about what the response would be if anything were to occur and, and how the the security services in, in the countries affected have got enough people, as, as Laura says, to to cover fan zones or, or cover transport hubs, let alone the stadia themselves. Yeah, Mark, sorry, you're going to say something. Well, I think what, um, leading on from what uh, Alex and Laura were saying and what's happened firstly in Paris back in November and secondly this week in Brussels, is I think it's, it's blatantly obvious that both of those countries have an intelligence gathering problem that has let, um, if you look at the, the area of Molenbeek in, in Brussels, you've let this huge terrorist community almost, whether it's one cell, two cell, you know, people do know about these things. You know, they're not secret within their own communities. And these have, have been allowed to grow and to fester uh, and, and to be able to plan and, and carry out the attacks, firstly in Paris and secondly in Brussels, without any real check from either the Belgian authorities, the French intelligence people, or anybody else except the Turkish who turned a few of them back, um, all the way across Europe through this giant non uh, this giant Schengen zone where there's no border checks. So if these um, intelligence gathering agencies are in such a pickle now, and and have have been pretty clueless for a long period of time about where potential terrorists are, then. They've got, what is it, three months now to fix that problem? That's not going to happen. So, yeah, the, your, what you said about the the ratio of 
the amount of potential attacks to the ones that actually get through. Um, that there's always going to be at least one that get through. But by good intelligence and good policing and, and all the rest of it, you can you can increase your luck. And I think that perhaps all the chickens are coming home to roost around this tournament from a security point of view, because it, it seems at least that uh, the European, maybe even our own intelligence gathering people, are not in the right place to be able to secure a big event like this. It's going to be a whole month long. It's not a one-off event. It's going to be spread about spread across this big country. And it's not all about what happens in the stadium. It's not all about what happens in a fan park. You know, even just on a Friday night, like in Paris, there might not even be a game in Paris, but there'll be tons of people there. And, and you can you can do anything you like, and, and that could take a ripple effect. Um, and, you know, we're going to see security alerts where nothing happens. You know, there's nothing more fear, nothing that puts fear into people more than fear itself. Okay. You know, so already they've won the battle over Euro, over Euro 2016. Because people are already shitting themselves that something bad's going to happen, so I, I, I'm 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 not particularly hopeful that it's going to pass off without any major incident. Okay, right. Um, should we talk about something a bit lighter? Why not? That seems right, doesn't it? Uh, Ryan, where was Northern Ireland playing a friendly at the moment? It's nil nil, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and we're going to England. Well, we England uh, are playing. Germany in Germany this weekend, aren't we? With Danny Drinkwater possibly starting. Um, how do you reckon this one's going to go? Uh, it'll be very tough. Um, obviously, Germany are a very, very good side. It, it, I suppose it just depends how their lineup's going to be, really. Um, yeah. you know, the results for me are sort of irrelevant. It's going to be whether the lineup reflects how this season's gone. I think it's going to be interesting. Like, if Drinkwater does get the game, then it'll be a good sign that he, you know Roy's looking at the looking at the season and actually picking form players rather than those with big names attached. Yeah. Um, do you think Rashford might be in with a shout? Of the, Marcus Rashford might be in with a shout of the Euros. I'd hope not. For who's to be sake? honest, uh, his and. I think, well, his mainly, it's put a lot of pressure to put on a player. I mean, remember when, you know, Walcott pick, got picked that first time, you know, so there's this immediate amount of pressure on the player. And, you know, Rashford, I think, getting picked in, it depends who he'd replace in the squad. Because I think there's there's quite a few options for that position. To take him and then not play him would be a bit of a waste, and I don't know what experience he'd gain from it. Yeah. What about Rooney? Is he a definite starter when he comes back? Laura? Oh, this was a, ma- a, a massive debate on Five Live on Monday night was whether Roy would uh, would start him. Oh, I think he will because that's just what Roy does. He prefers the experience over the uh, over the form. <laughs> he's captain, isn't he? So I suppose he has to. He's got to take him because he's captain, yeah. I mean, who's going to be captain over the weekend? Has that been announced? I don't know. Because there's no heart either, is there? So, well, that's always the way with England. <laughs> <laughs> if uh, if the captain's Jordan Henderson, well, that's me finished with England. <laughs> oh, how very day. Who are your other options? There's not really any. any Gary, other... Ga- Gary Cahill. Yeah, I suppose. Deli Ali. Having looked at that defence, it's a bit. 
It's not great, is it? No, well, they were saying this on, a, on another podcast the other day. Um, if you think back when England played in Germany with the World Cup 10 years ago, that defence, it was Ferdinand Terry, uh, Gary Neville and Ashley Cole, wasn't it? Nobody in that defence today would get anywhere near that team. No. Which is... And yet that team failed to... spectacularly. Uh, it did, yeah. <laughs> Probably not because of the defence. Well, there was only ever one player, in my view, that ever showed up for England during those supposed great years and that was Ashley Cole I thought he was always outstanding for England but the rest of them never lived up to their billing oh, you're such a hipster hmm. well just saying it like I saw it that's always the case with England though the players can have a fantastic season and then when it comes to tournament time the form suddenly drops and people can't play together well I mean he's picked John Stones and he's not been playing for God knows how long has he no and he's not had a great season no and uh, I heard today on the on the radio, um, talk sport, so, you know, take it with a pinch of salt, but apparently Hodgson is all for picking Jack Wilshire, despite the fact he's yeah. not played a single minute of Premier League football this season, and is unlikely to by the end of it, you know, and, he, and he's absolutely determined to take him, you know, when when has taken half fit or no, not fit at all players ever worked for anybody? I can't understand why Mark Noble's not in this squad. <laughs> what? Mark Noble, Mr. Average. Do you reckon? Oh, come on. Well, well, then again, that, that's the thing. of like, If he's taking Wilshire, then why wouldn't he take Noble in, in, in his place? Because like, Noble is Mr. Average, but he'd, he'd do a job. If you brought him on in, for the last 10 minutes to you know make sure a game was secure, he'd, he'd do his job and he'd go on with it. He wouldn't sort of... But that's what you've got James Milner for. You don't need another one. <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> Really, I thought people would be quite happy to to see you at Noble there. West Ham fans were crying their faces off last week when he wasn't picked. Really? You think they'd be, you think they'd be happy with a free stadium and everything, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, well, you've got Wales and Northern Ireland at the moment. Czech Republic, Scotland uh, as well tonight, um, and then tomorrow you've got Republic of Ireland versus Switzerland. Do these games mean anything, or is it just sort of? seeing your fringe players and which ones are going to make it through to the finals well, I that. think them, these are more important games really for Wales, Northern Ireland and Republic because they've had some quite bad injuries so they've got to figure out who are, who they are going to take just in case these players aren't fit yeah and for us for England I, I I can't see the like when whenever a friend has happened, I really just can't see a reason to to get excited for it or to it's just you know it's a match to like Laura says test some players out. But I mean, if if Roy came out and said here's a different formation, here's a bunch of different players, I want to see who works, who doesn't work, then that's great. But with friendlies, I never really see that much experimentation to think okay, he's getting a good handle on what he's going to do in the Euros. Mm. Okay. It's a, it's a nice way to generate some revenue for the FA. That's about all you can say. Yeah. At least. Nice, just cynic. <laughs> uh, well, can you explain to me why there's a friendly at this time of the year um, when all the leagues and the European tournaments are coming to a climax and players are carrying little niggles and England have got a new kit to sell uh, and a certain amount of voxels to sell through the sponsorship deal? In footballing terms, I bet you can make a case for the fact that he needs to cement a few places that he thinks are already there and not quite sure about plus see who's going to surprise him there may be two places up for grabs 
you reckon? Yeah, he's going to take Walcott, despite the fact that he's garbage. He's going to take um, uh, Jack Wiltshire, potentially, if he's, if he's got two broken ankles. <laughs> you know, who, who's, who's he? There's not five or six places up for grabs. They're, they're a waste of time. Help me, Alex. Uh, I can't. I think <laughs> international football is a waste of time. So well, All of it. <laughs> yeah, I, I I just find it utterly moribund. I have no interest in international football at all. Sorry. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's why I've not been saying anything. In well, it, it, international football, like when there's a tournament, it's great. It's just friendlies which don't seem to do anything apart from, as Mark said, you know, make some money for the FA or, you know, it's I think if, if we're not experimenting or picking different players, then, then what's the aim of it? Well, Alex, in your you... capacity as a policeman at football matches, did you go to any England football, games? Um, did I go to any England games? No, I don't think I did. No. no. Did some did some European games. Um, did the Bayern Borussia Champions League final, actually. Did you? Yeah. And there was loads and loads of crowd trouble. Well, not crowd trouble, but there was loads of fighting at like 8 o'clock in the morning in the coach park that nobody ever heard about. And then sporadic shit throughout the rest of the day. But of course, it all passed off wonderfully peacefully because everyone did such a great job. Good of you. Um, no, because we don't like admitting that this stuff still happens. Oh, right, okay. I see, wait, I mean, football, not not the Met. They yeah. would be perfectly happy. <laughs> so, but... The 8 o'clock fights in the car park, was that because the Germans were laying out towels uh, <laughs> securing their spot there for drinking during the day? <laughs> I think I think they 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 directed several um, coaches of, of opposition fan or the two opposition teams to to park at the same time, and they all debussed, having obviously been travelling all night and massively pissed up, and we're like, hey, there's no one here, let's have a massive scrap. Um, yeah, and then I think some Chelsea fans came up during the afternoon uh, and had a fight with some Borussia fans. Standard. Yeah, right. Um, you were one so... of them, were you, right? Yeah. <laughs> Not that time. <laughs> uh, right, well, should we... Oh, crikey. Should we go down to League 1 and League 2? Laura, help us. Hold our hand through this. Okay. Off you, Paul. Uh Right, okay. Um, Burton in League 1 are top on 74 points. They've got Wigan on 68. Ahead uh, on goal difference of Walsall. They've got Gillingham, Millwall and Burnley making up the... Um, Playoff spots. Barnsley. Barnsley. Sorry. Sorry. I wrote B. I Lee. So Barnsley. Uh, then you got Bradford on fifty eight and Coventry on fifty six. So this weekend you got games on Monday as well, haven't we? Uh, yeah. yeah. There's only League One playing this weekend. League One and League Two. Yes, that's right. Mm. Um, yeah, you have got uh, Millwall are playing Burton, so you've got a sort of playoff clash versus um, top of the table there. Uh, Burton are also playing Oldham as well, who are needing the points to avoid relegation. Laura, help us. How does this go? What, the Burton-Oldham game? Well, any of it, really. Just make us try and sound a bit knowledgeable. <laughs> <laughs> it's not possible. No. <laughs> Come on, you watch George Riley on, on the Channel 5 show. Yes, I just watch it just for him. Um, well, Burton have got quite a gap now they're, they're what six points ahead now so well they've not stuck for <laughs> have they since um, Jimmy Floyd left no and he's not done so well 
stepping up, has he, either? No. Um, Wigan have, have pulled the socks up a bit. They started the season really quite averagely. I think it was a shock to the system when they went down. Um, Walsall seemed to have taken a little bit of a dip um, since Dean Smith left um, for Brentford. Um, but again, recently they've they've picked up a bit more form, I think. So I think it's going to be them and Wigan for automatics. Is Gary Colwell this season Steve Presley? <laughs> Maybe. This sort of unsung hero dragging this team up. Yeah, possibly. I mean, Walsall have, have been there or thereabouts for the last couple of seasons. Um, it'd be nice to see him do it. It'd be nice to see Burton and Walsall come up into championship. That it would be be, uh, be interesting. Yeah. You could have a nice little trip to IKEA in Walsall and as you uh, visit them. Uh, you see, we don't have good memories of playing Walsall. Back in League One, the, it was always Walsall that did us in the like 92nd minute or something like that. So... Um, no, I'm, I won't be looking forward to that. No, OK. Um, well, Barnsley are playing Scunthorpe this weekend as well. So Scunthorpe are one of only two teams in the football league with a lot of swear word in, aren't they? Arsenal's the other one. <laughs> um, right, Laurie, you're going to have to really help with this one. League two. Yeah. Crikey. I've heard of Plymouth. They're all right. Well, They're third. Well done. Thank you. Northampton. Uh, yeah. Every time I used to watch Northampton on Manish's show, they were terrible. Yeah. What's happened? Yeah. They're flying at the moment. I mean, they they went on something ridiculous like a seventeen game unbeaten run, like Juventus. <laughs> yeah, only better. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, they're on eighty two points. They got Oxford second on seventy one. Uh, then Emma's Bristol Rovers on sixty five. Um, ahead of goal difference of Plymouth, who are in the playoff spots. Uh, and then you got Accrington sixty four, Portsmouth sixty, Lake Norwich fifty nine. Um, there's a few playoff games this weekend There's that's sort of in contention. You've got Accrington, Leighton Orient this weekend. Um, Oxford versus Stevenage. Stevenage, well, they're third bottom, aren't they? So they're just trying to avoid relegation. Although they look like they pretty much are, doesn't it? They look like the bottom two are pretty much cast adrift. Uh, they are, yeah. Uh, York have struggled for two or three seasons. They, they've been up and down. So um, I think they're finally... Uh, Finally on the way. Dagenham and Redbridge seem to have taken a fall again, don't they? Yeah, who's the York manager? He's quite famous, isn't he? Was he a famous player? Jackie McNamara. Is it? Yes. Mm. There you go. And former Teddy Sheringham Stevenage, of course. Yeah. Yeah, that was his... Was that his first job as as a head coach? I think it was, wasn't it? Well, no, he was a coach at West Ham, wasn't he? And that was his first manager job. Hmm. So, yeah. yeah, that didn't go very well. No, it didn't. Not very well at all. <laughs> right. How do we do? Do we do okay? Yeah, I think you were all right. Just going back to Northampton, though, um, mm. considering their their um, backroom issues at the moment where there's fraud left, right and centre, um, you've got to hold hold your head up to them and take your hat off because I think they're doing incredibly, incredibly well and they deserve a lot of credit. Oh, definitely. I mean, I was kind of half joking when I said I. Whenever I used to watch them, they, they would. But they really were down the bottom, weren't they? They was. Oh yeah, no, they, they were. They were. I, I'm actually from Northampton, and we were awful for a long amount of time. Um, 
I remember just looking in the paper every, every week and saying, oh, yeah, Northampton lost again. And now all of a sudden they're, they're flying high. So it's pretty... Isn't it also fair to say that they're one of the very few... I assume they're a city. They may be a town, but one of the very few places where um, the football plays genuinely second fiddle to rugby. Yes, yeah, yeah, because yeah, the Northampton Saints in rugby are like quite sort of. I don't really pay much attention to it, but they're quite high up in the rugby top league. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, everyone cares more about rugby than football. But yeah, we're a town, but we're sort of bigger than a town. So it's all yeah. it's all a bit weird. Which yeah, I'm from a. City that's definitely smaller than than many towns. So, with Winchester, it's, a, it's a, a city by longevity rather than anything else. By cathedral. Uh, yeah, exactly that. Yeah. Would you include Leicester with that, Alex? Rugby team bigger than a football team. I actually, I think I probably would do. To be fair, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, there there will be uh, people who I'm sure have sort of bandwagon jumped because Leicester are doing so well and, and fair play to them. I have no issue with that at all. But you know, the Leicester Tigers have, have been the preeminent English rugby club pretty much since the, the professional game came in. So um they've not been as great recently, but um I would say Leicester and Wasps are the are the two biggest clubs in English rugby, so I think that's probably a fair comment. Yeah. I just when you said that I just thought and I thought well, I was trying to figure out which way it could go. Um, World Cup qualifiers there's some of those going on at the minute Harry Redknapp started anyone see how Harry Redknapp got on uh, Jordan won 8-0 they did they beat Bangladesh 8-0 didn't they I, I'm sure Harry's delighted he's just <laughs> disappointed that he can't sign um, Nico Cranshaw <laughs> Nico Cranshaw's Jordanian granddad <laughs> yeah yeah. or Samba yeah well his next game is against Australia who beat Tajikistan 7-0 Mm. Uh, and Syria won Syria keep winning they're second in their group they beat Cambodia 6-0 um, they play top of the group Japan on Tuesday it's amazing to think isn't it with everything that's going on there Syria could get to a World Cup would be amazing wouldn't it yeah it I really mean they, they play their games in Oman but it would be very odd to think mm. um, and there's games in South America this weekend the top four go through with the fifth place team go to the playoffs so you've got Ecuador top on 12th uh, Uruguay second on ninth. Remember the new Luis Suarez for Uruguay so far. He comes back this weekend. Uh, Brazil seven, uh, Paraguay seven points, and then the playoff place you got Chile. Argentina have only got five points. They play Chile this weekend. It, it regularly happens in World Cup qualifying in South America that you get to about halfway through the group the group stage, and you always get some really weird results in that first half. I remember a few years ago, Bolivia thrashed Argentina six nil at altitude or something like that. And you get some really odd teams at the top and you get Brazil or Argentina or both sort of struggling. And then by the end of it, they end up running away with it in the second half because they realise that, you know, to stop messing about and actually get on with it. Yeah. Or they start bribing the other teams. <laughs> <laughs> I remember a very, very good football pink article about altitude and football. Oh, really? Uh, who wrote that then? Oh, funny you should, <laughs> funny you should say that, isn't it? <laughs> Oh yeah, I'm going to let that one slip through. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, and of course no San Paolo for uh, Chile because he's stomped off with his ball, hasn't he? He has. Well, speaking, okay. of... <laughs> <laughs> speaking of South America, has anyone seen Fastino Spreer again this week? Oh, what's he up to now? He's 
he's been in that dinosaur outfit again on a trampoline. <laughs> and he's very good. He manages to uh, do sort of twizzles in the air. I do love that man. Oh, he's fantastic. Uh, I was yeah. trying to explain this to somebody at work, and they were saying, "Oh, typical." What we were, you know, talking earlier on, you know, typical millionaire footballer, um, more money than sense. And I kind of thought, well, this is what I'd want to do if I had lots of money. It's just, why wouldn't you want to dress as a dinosaur and jump around? The other thing is, is well, it's not really typical footballer, really. I don't know how many other no. footballers are dressed up in a dinosaur outfit jumping on trampolines. Well, you don't know what Kelly gets up to at a weekend. Well, that's a good point, actually, yeah. <laughs> uh, and has anybody heard of a t- Danish team called Randers? Yes. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of it for the same reason as I have today? Um, no, I've, I've heard of it because Football Manager has given me a fairly encyclopedic knowledge of random club football. Oh, do you know who they're managed by? No. Well, they're managed by Colin Todd. Um, oh. Yeah. <laughs> that's very random, but that's not the most random Fancy thing. Fancy that. Fancy that. Uh, one of the players, Jonas Burring, has had to leave the club after it's been discovered that his wife has been having an affair with the club captain. Very strange they got rid of him rather than the club captain, who actually the person has committed the indiscretion. Um, Imagine, like, I don't know, that happening at Chelsea or something. <laughs> I knew that was going to come up. I knew it. Well, obviously it was going to come up. <laughs> Are they going to change the name of the team to Randy? Oh, there it is. Oh. Um, <laughs> uh, well, they, he and his wife have split up permanently. They, they're still living in the same house with the children, and she's still seeing the club captain, uh, Christian Keller. I, I lived with an ex for several months after we'd broken up, and let me tell you, it is awkward as fuck. Is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, particularly when you're sleeping on a really ratty shit sofa. And she's upstairs yeah. with some fireman or something. Uh, I don't think she was upstairs with the fireman, but she certainly had a proper bed. Yeah, mind you, she. Alex. Well, yeah, the wrong way around. She had to leave the country though because she was American, so I kind of won that one. You didn't dress her up, did you? (laughs) You had her deported. Is that what you're saying? No, I didn't have. You used your police terrible abuse of power. Well, no, no, because um, we had a uh, a partnership visa, which is sort of because, and I mean, this is a serious point. She she was very bright, paid all her taxes, etc., etc., but still found it impossible to get a visa. Um, which I do think is one of the unfair things about non-EU people. And um, and so we got a partnership visa, which is akin to saying that you're you're married. And then, of course, when we weren't living together, or when we'd broken up and everything, I kind of had to put it that, you know, I, being a policeman as I was at the time, I couldn't really go around breaking immigration law. So maybe she would look into flights at some point. <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah, it was terrible. <laughs> I don't yeah, know why I'm laughing about it. Say. She had the better bed. She she had she she had the bed and I had the sofa for the two months. But well, then she. Left. Of you. Um. Yeah. Yeah. No. I suppose it was. Well, I couldn't. I mean, I couldn't be a total cunt about it, could I? Just... <laughs> Who had the telly? Um. Have you got a beeper? We, we didn't. We didn't own a television. Actually. That's where you went wrong. Uh. Yeah. I think probably in retrospect, that's one of the the things that went wrong yeah, uh, yeah. well um, uh, the wronged partner in this occasion Jonas Boring has said that he's completely knifed me in the back um, and club captain Christian Keller has said we move on <laughs> <laughs> so 
with your wife. Yeah. <laughs> didn't Tommy Doherty, when he went off with the physios, no, the, the chief scout's wife, didn't the three of them all live in a house together at some point? That, I, that, so how has he left the club? Because they're not in a transfer window. I think they so cancelled they... his contract and paid him up to the end of his contract. God. I mean, that's pretty shitty, isn't it? It is, isn't it? But then I guess, you know, he's... I mean, it depends how long he had left to run on his contract, but he might be sitting on quite a nice amount of money and then free-signed for somebody for a, with a bonus later on. Yeah. I mean, that probably won't make up for the disintegration of his marriage, but it might help. It would help. He might help. be able to buy a dinosaur suit. Yes. Well, there you go. <laughs> so, swings and roundabouts, really. <laughs> right, exactly. Or, well, maybe if he'd bought one before she'd seen him, then they'd still be married. Yeah, because that is the key to every healthy relationship, a dinosaur suit. Dressing up. Well, every woman wants. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Barney. Note to sell. <laughs> I need to get onto that. Uh, the world's dirtiest footballer, uh, Colombian Gerardo <laughs> Boy- Bodaya, uh, has been I sent saw... off. Have you seen this? Yeah, 21 minutes <laughs> into his manager debut. I then, I then looked at the YouTube clip of him elbowing that guy and then kicking him in the head. It's like, oh well, I, I say kick him. He sort of more prodded him, to be fair. But the guy was pretty prone. In the same way, you, in the same way, you sort of kick a corpse just to check if it's still moving. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. It was, um, it was outstanding. I think he got sent off forty-six times in his career. That's right, yeah. Emery says, I mean, yeah, it kind of makes Alan Hutton look pretty relaxed, doesn't it? He's one to buy him football manager, though, isn't he? He'd be one for aggression. Yes, yeah. Uh, I, yeah. Sorry, go on. I, just, I, I tried to manage that Villa side on Football Manager and, and, and basically just almost ended up self-harming. Well, this season's Villa side? Yeah, it's yeah. Not, I, thought, I thought, I thought I'll, I'll try and save them from relegation. No. Nope. <laughs> They're just that, that me, bad. That insane. reminds me of playing Everton in the early 2000s on Championship Manager. It doesn't matter what you did. You were just—it was a hopeless task. Relegation was a was a certainty as soon as you as soon as you clicked Everton. Is that yeah. the team with Gascoigne, Richard Goff, and um, uh, David Watson? Uh, I think it was that. I think it was Cleland, Chadwick, Jevons, Alexanderson, Simonson in goal. Oh, he was Gemmel. Dog shit, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, that's the team. Oh, for the luxury of Paul Gascoigne. <laughs> Alexanderson, Laura, there's a legend. Yeah, I think he was one of the last players that we sold for actual money. <laughs> uh, we're, still, of... we're still wanting a refund. <laughs> <laughs> speaking of legends, uh, Nottingham Forest legends, have, um, they're going to boycott a dinner commemorating the 150th anniversary of the club, Colin Barrett and John Robertson. Do you see the prices they were charging for this? No. Prices started at £180 for a dinner uh, and going up to £2,400 for 10 people. There's a lot of Forest um, nostalgia about at the minute after that film was released, isn't there? Yeah. So they're obviously just trying to make the make the bunts while they can. Yeah, exactly. Who would have thought? Just think in, tw- in 25 years' time, it'll all be uh, Leicester City dinners and um, Leicester City films and all the rest of it. You think they were wheeling out the amounts of candy or whatever it is. Uh, right, what would you want to do now? Do you want to talk about... Some ladders. Sorry? <laughs> it sounds like somebody's climbing some ladders. They've stopped now. You've heard 
do you guys want to play a game or do you want to talk about the Finder sighting? Let's play a game. Let's play a game, shall we? Right. It's like a soaring intro. Like, what's going to happen? Yeah. This is called Play Your Footballers Right. Ryan, this was a game in the 80s called Play Your Cards Right with a man called Bruce Forsyth. <laughs> okay, yeah. You've heard of either That's of those? A... Yes. <laughs> what I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a player's name, uh, their squad number, and the year that squad number relates to. And then I'm going to... Uh, you've got to guess that number, and you've got to guess the next one afterwards. So I've written Southampton first, Alex. Oh, uh, okay. So, what number did Ken Moncow wear in 94 95? How the. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean. Is this a pointless quiz? Two. Yeah, very pointless. Two? No, it was six. Oh. Okay, shit. So we're going to Wayne Bridge in 99 2000. Was that higher or lower than six? Lower. Yeah, lower. lower. Uh, no, it was higher. It was 18. <sighs> so I go from Wayne Bridge to Gaston Ramirez in thirteen fourteen. What was the previous one? Eighteen. So is it higher or lower? Ooh, higher. It's lower again. He wore ten. Yeah, good. And then <laughs> <laughs> James Beattie in o two o three. Higher or lower than Gaston Ramirez? Lower. Well done. Nine. Thank you. There you go. And final one, you'll be pleased to hear. Um, yeah. Adam Alana in twelve thirteen, higher or lower than James Beattie? Higher. Well, Denny wore a twenty. Mm. Right, Mark. Do you see how that worked? Because you're next. I did. Yeah. Is there a mini metro at the end of it? <laughs> I've got a feeling you might do quite well at this. Is it Everton? It is. Oh, right. God. Paul Gascoigne in two thousand two thousand and one. What number was he? Uh, eighteen. Well done. Right. Fuck it out, Mark. <laughs> Making the rest of us look bad now. God. That's the only one. That was a good guess, but go on. Yeah, and then we go to Yakubu in 07 08. Is that higher or lower than 18? Um, higher. Well done. What number do you reckon? Uh, 27. 22. Is that right? <gasps> yeah. Oh. And then we go to 1992 93. Robert Washika. Uh, Varshika was... Was he number eight? No, he wasn't number eight. He was he number six. So you're going lower, are you? Lower. Right. You're right to go lower, but he was number 20. Right, OK. So I'll still give you that one because you went the right direction. Yeah. Uh, right, number 20. Uh, so then we go to Nicky Barmby, 96, 97. Higher or lower than uh, 20? Barmby, lower. What number do you reckon? Uh, was he something like number seven? He was 12, but well done for going lower. And oh. then final... This season, Mo Besic. Higher or Besic, lower? Uh, higher. What number is he? He's 17. Five out of five, Alex. Well, you know. Nah. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got nothing. I could just, yeah. <laughs> Mark Laura. knows squad numbers better than I do. I don't, squad There's numbers. not a lot goes on in the pitch other than staring at numbers, so. <laughs> <laughs> squad numbers are very important. Like, I was 12 when Ken Moncow was playing, man. I mean, what do you expect? That doesn't make any difference. Well, squad numbers came I... in 93. I was like, well, that was like 14, 15 then. But you obviously spend your time revising them or something. I, I don't know. Do you know when you were out getting girls and going out drinking? I was in looking at squad numbers. And who's the richer man for it tonight? 
Um, yeah. <laughs> well, I've been in AA for 13 years, so probably you. <laughs> right, your That's turn, Laura. even a joke. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> your turn, Laura. Uh, you might as well just put a big fat zero on there. Um... Oh, come on, you can do this. Although, bearing in mind, the last time you were in the Premier League was 15 years ago. 16. 16, sorry. Uh, right, 1992,000, Des Walker. What number did he wear? Uh, he was five. Oh, almost, he was six. Uh, so we go from Des Walker to Guy Whittingham in 96, 97. Is that higher or lower than Des Walker? Oh, Guy Whittingham was eight, I think. So you're going so to higher? Yeah. You're going to, well, you're right to go higher, but he was number seven. Uh, uh, and then we go to Trevor Francis in 93, 94. Tricky Trev. Higher or lower than seven? Higher. You're right, he was number 27. Yeah, because him and Laurie Madden were the oldest bench of all time. <laughs> uh, and then Julian Watts, 94, 95. My friend went out with Julian Watts. Julian Watts, oh my God. <laughs> Higher um, or lower than 27? Uh, lower. Lower, you're right, 24. And finally, Mark DeGrees in 95, 96. Mark DeGrees, he was number nine, so he'd be lower. He was number 14, but you're right to go lower. Mm. So you're four, second place at the minute, but... Yeah. This, this is difficult for you because, of course, as far as you're aware, football was invented by Roman Abramovich in 2003. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I'm, I'm not even going to try and defend that anymore, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid, unfortunately, you're going to have to go a bit before that. We start. Okay, with, we fine. start with Graham Lasso in 1992. Okay. Um, bloody hell. Was he number three? No, he was number fourteen. Oh. What? Why have I got number three from? Jeez. Well, it's probably because he's a fullback. Yeah. Uh, right, and we then go into Scott Parker in 0405. Lower. Higher. He was 19. And it's, Andy, gonna go well. it's not going well so far. Andy <laughs> Myers, 96, 97, higher or lower than 19? Oh, I... Do you know Andy Myers? Lower. Is? <laughs> no. <laughs> lower. Lower, well done, he was eight. Yay. Iron Robin, 0506. Higher. What record number do you reckon? Uh, I don't know if you would have had, like, number 17 or anything like, because oh. that's usually that position. 16. Okay. Well, you went higher anyway, so I'll give you a point. And finally, the greatest Chelsea player ever, Ricardo Quaresma in 0809. <laughs> to be honest, he came on for one sub appearance, but I'm going to four. go higher. Four appearances. Four, right, well, they were clearly all memorable. Yeah. Uh, higher. Higher, you're right. What number? Was it in like the 30s? No, he was 18. Oh, uh, okay. Well. Wow. So we have Alex Bottom on two points. Sorry, Alex. Yeah. And then we've got Ryan I'll on survive. <laughs> but Ryan on three, Laura on four, and Mark, you swap on five. All right. There you go. I don't know what you win, actually. It's not a mini metro. No, I'll send my, my mum round. It's a fridge magnet. A man of the post fridge magnet. Brilliant. There you go. Uh, right, okay, so now we move on to the final part of the show, which is the final of the Premier League five-a-side team. So, 
for the last few months, what we've been doing on here is going through each Premier League team and picking out what we feel is their best all-time Premier League team. So we've gone through one defender, one goalkeeper, and any three others on the pitch. Um, last week was a semi-final. This week is the final, uh, and we have... Uh, in one corner, in the purple corner, we've got West Ham with Ludic McClosco, Julian Dix, Paolo Di Canio, Joe Cole and Carlos Tevez. And in the red corner, we've got Liverpool. Who'd have thought that? We've got Pepe Reina, Javi Mascherano, Xabi Alonso, Robbie Fowler and Fernando Torres. Anyone listening to this last week would have seen, heard Ryan's passionate plea for this Liverpool team. Dix! <laughs> my absence it's all just gone tits up hasn't it <laughs> well you will go away Paul for the Manchester United rank cast hasn't spoke to me for about three weeks because I we knocked Manchester United out for Arsenal uh, and I'm afraid playing the mandolin only gets you so far Alex Gilberto Silva well, lost out last week well yeah I'm disappointed by that but I'm disappointed by so much in life so I'll just <laughs> add this to the list yeah, well, this is just another another disappointment in tonight's pod for you. Um, well, come on, who do we think? We've got Luna McClosco in goal versus Pepe Reina. It's got to be Pepe Reina, surely. I'd be inclined to agree. in the big games, didn't he? So, who's to say he wouldn't pick one up and drop it in his own net in the final to give West Ham a shock lead? Oh, do you remember that penalty shootout against West Ham in the 2006 final? And against Chelsea, remember that one, Ryan? I do, yeah. The Champions League Same semi-final. Times. Yeah. There you go. Remember that save McClosco made to win Blackburn the league when he was playing for West Ham? I do, yeah. Against Andy Brilliant Cole. Piece. Brilliant piece of goalkeeping, that. Yeah, but that's ten penalty saves versus your one McClosco. Well, I don't know. I, I think McClosco will win the battle of the goalkeepers in this one. You, ju- you just simply can't go with Rayner. Why? You're all doing he's... this because of the fact that Liverpool are in the final, aren't you? Well, I wouldn't worry because Julian Dex is up next. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just Rayner. Yeah, Rayner was Rayner was known to be a good penalty saving goalkeeper, but he was pretty shit at everything else. So, I yeah, he's a world. So Liverpool, winner. Liverpool are playing for penalties. Is that what you're saying, Chris? <laughs> yeah. Just like they did in 2006. Yeah, he's a World Cup winner, uh, Euros winner, played for Bayern Munich, played for Napoli. You can't... You can say he's a World Cup winner in so far as any second or third choice goalkeeper in a World Cup winning squad is. In but the same I, way that Richard Wright is a Premier League winner. Right. It's just not the same for goalkeepers. And I say that as a former goalkeeper. Like, I have all love for that. But it's... Yeah. You can't, you can't really genuinely ascribe winning the World Cup to Pepe Reina in any way, <laughs> shape or form. Who won more medals, Reina or Arfexad? <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. okay, I, I bow to your logic I don't know the answer, one. but I can have a bloody good guess. <laughs> well, Arfexad was there for that uh, the, the famous treble winning season of 2001, wasn't he? Influential, you might call him. Yeah, definitely. All right, so we go with McCloskey going goal for that one. Uh, Javi Mascarano versus Julian Dix. Because Mascarano could have got in the West Ham team as well, couldn't he? Mm. Mm. I think Mascarano really... couldn't. Why not? Does there... Well, remember when he was at West Ham, he couldn't get a game. Uh, no. Well, if he was used properly, he could have got in. Well, the manager didn't think so. No. Um, 
Go on, let's speak up for Julian Dix. He was a very underrated player, wasn't he? Uh, he was the, the image of him is being a bit of a thug that like jumping on John Spencer's head, but he could play football pretty well. He, um, he had a couple of scenes at Liverpool as well. He was quite an underrated player, was he not, Laura? Was he? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. He had a good left foot. Yeah, he did have a very good left foot, didn't he? Never missed a penalty, hardly. Yeah, Still, he, it was mostly on the back of John Spencer's head, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think the thing is, you can underrate Julian Dix as much as you like. He's still not Mascherano, is he? He's no, not. No, no. no. even a debate about it. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, OK. Well, look, I think this is where it does get a little bit difficult, because Paolo Di Canio, Joe Cole at West Ham, if you think about that, rather than elsewhere... Uh, and Carlos Tevez is they're a match for Xavi Alonso Robbie Fowler and Fernando Torres aren't they yeah this this is not the cakewalk you would imagine it to be no I think you've got a lot more fight in that West Ham team mm. there's a lot of fight in that West Carlos Tevez Paolo Di Canio and Julian Dix yeah <laughs> yeah well, I think they just have too much fighting. Uh, too much desire yeah. for Liverpool <laughs> do you think I, I think Joe Cole would be an exceptional five-a-side player as well like close control, trickery, all of the stuff that he was, you know, promised when he was young, and then it kind of all went slightly to pop. But all of that would just be exceptional behind Tevez. I think it would work really, really well. You can imagine this West Ham team. You'd just have Julian Dix just stood saying, "Don't worry, I've got this covered," and the other three could just go as far at the pitch as they wanted. Mm. Plus, there's more. I mean, Alonso is a very creative midfielder, but he's a sort of He's a long passing quarterback style midfielder, isn't he? Yeah. Which just doesn't suit five a side. He's quite static as well. Yeah. You need a bit more movement of five a side, do you? Oh, uh, you yeah. Well and quick. Well, five a side's more like basketball, isn't it? It's much more backwards and forwards. Yeah. And I, I, I can't see Alonso fitting all that snugly into that. And I think if if West Ham could just keep kind of piling forwards then they might get some joy out of it alright so what about Robbie Fowler and Fernando Torres did we miss a trick by not choosing Suarez yes yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think I advocated Suarez at the time you went on the show I think I sent one in didn't you I did. you did you did Sorry, yeah. yes you did no, I think we talked about this last week, but I think that Suarez pick probably would have been wrong, especially if you would have like taken Torres out because Torres sort of he paved the way for Suarez to come in almost because he became that top striker that they needed, and then when they sold him, Suarez could come in and, and pick up the pieces and, and carry on with that sort of position. Suarez. I think Torres was quite influential for Liverpool when he joined. I have a happier feeling thinking about Fernando Torres than I do Luis Suarez because I get whenever I think about Fernando Torres, I think about sunny days. Uh, we saw what we said last week, wasn't it? You know, mm. the goal against Blackburn, sunny days. Uh, everyone's all a bit happy and jolly. Whereas Suarez, it's like a dirty, rotten, rainy night at Anfield. I think Suarez brought too much controversy to the, the club. I mean, Torres played played the game, scored goals, and you know that was it there was never any sort of mm. that I can remember massively sort of outrageous moments where he did anything wrong or so. it was just he played football he scored goals and, and you know you could trust him to do it this is a slightly one-sided rationale if they're playing a team that's got 
Paolo fascist salute to Canio in it. Uh, <laughs> Julian stamp on your head dicks. Right. Which incidentally is, you know, I think uh, I I think that that's quite football-y, isn't it? It's sort of, you know, you, you kind of look at things differently depending on where your affections lie and I'm sure to a lot of Liverpool fans, Suarez is the the best player they've had in the last ten years, and or maybe Gerard, yeah, obviously, but you know he wasn't whiter than white either. But um, it, it's everybody sees football through the the prism of their own prejudices and experiences, don't they? So why I'm, was I'm not... Gerard not in this team? Was he not? Why was he what? not in this team? Is he in this team? No, I don't. No. I, I'm a bit meh about Gerard, to be honest. Yeah, if you have Gerard and Suarez in the team, and remember, it doesn't matter what, whether they're racist or, you know, handy with their teeth or any other thing. You've got to think about what are the good players, are the particularly good five-a-side players. Mm. And you know, we said that um, Alonso, Alex said Alonso is um, a, you know more of a longer passer, and you know Gerard would be could mix it up a bit as a centre forward on a five-a-side pitch. He wouldn't play centre forward at all, but Luis Suarez would be all over the place. In the mm. same way Tevez would be for this West Ham yeah. team. And he would be practically unplayable in a five-a-side game because you wouldn't get a minute's piece in defence or attack off him. Whereas Torres would stand on the edge of the, the D, expect to get the ball, and when he didn't, he wouldn't offer anything else to the team. So a lot of the time, that Liverpool five-a-side zone would be carrying him. And you can't do that in five-a-side. So we've got Tricky Joe Cole, Tricky Carlos Tevez, and Ludwig McCloskey in goal. So we're we're erring towards this West Ham team, aren't we? Uh, and and I think I, I totally agree with Mark, and I think Tevez is what tips it in the balance for West Ham because he's just such a he's such a great footballer, but he's also this little whirring bundle of energy. He wouldn't stop. He'd chase down everything. He'd pressure constantly. Um, and I, I think Liverpool. Their, their players are almost a little too uh, Mascherano aside. They're almost a little too aloof for that. Robbie Fowler. Um, y- yeah, but I think I think Fowler and and Torres are in some respects too similar. I think they're both very very good but predatory centre forwards. Uh, I don't think they would necessarily do a great deal else, and indeed they might even get in each other's way. Whenever I think about Carlos Tevez, you kind of think about the Tasmanian devil, don't you? In the mm. Bugs Bunny cartoons. And you're right, that's what he would be. He would be back helping Julian Dix out in defence. I think about him relegating Sheffield United, but that's very... <laughs> oh, so he's, he's a hero of yours. That's another very sound reason then, isn't it? <laughs> Fair enough. So are we, are we going to go with this West Ham team, are we, as our champions? I think, just to piss you off, Chris, yes. <laughs> no, I said this last week to Ryan, that... I wouldn't be unhappy if this West Ham team won. I like Julian Dix. I like. As I say, you really like this West Ham team. We did, didn't we? Mm. We like. We like Julian Dix. I, like, I loved. Uh, yeah, I love Hollis Tevez. Joe Cole, obviously a great player, and Paolo Di Canio, despite his little, little fascist cultural issues, and pushing referees over Laura. He is a phenomenal player, isn't he? And they're more than a match for this Liverpool team. Sorry. The Kenya was brilliant for us. He was. I think the ref pushing thing was kind of. I mean, I, I didn't have a huge problem with that either. I to an extent, either. I th- it was kind of <laughs> theatrics because you look massively. All cock fell over. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it was. It, you know, it was no harder than 
plenty of shoves that are committed by plenty of other players. It's just the the ref dived. That's, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. Some but he kind of did. The referee. Yeah, a little bit. And I, yeah, I just kind of felt like it wasn't as much of a scene as everyone made of it at the time. He fell, he fell over like an old lady in a, a mugging reconstruction on Crime Watch, didn't he? <laughs> I was actually there, not uh, like ten rows back from when uh, from when it happened, and it was right in the corner flag ne- next to us, in front of the cop. And he took about fifteen steps back, the ref, when <laughs> when he shoved him over, and then he just fell on his backside. It was. Um, it was comical because we were all laughing about it. Well, the best mm. bit was the Nigel Winterburn bit afterwards. You see this where oh, he yeah, runs he fifty yards across the his honour. Yeah, and then crapped himself when Decanio turned on him. Yeah. <laughs> right, so that's our champions, West Ham. Yeah, everyone happy with that? Yeah. Yeah. Hey. Mark, who would have thought that all those months ago when we started? I know, eh? You would have thought that they would have would have been happy enough with their free stadium and. <laughs> now they've got the, the man on the post, five side team. It's been a great year for the Hammers. Well, to be fair, that Arsenal team should have won, but yeah. we weren't here. <laughs> I don't think Agreed. I am so with Laura on this one. Really? No. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, Laura is the voice of reason usually, but usually. particularly in this sense. If you if you want to hear Laura not being the voice of reason, we can talk cycling. Oh, don't even get started. <laughs> right, well, that brings us to the end of our podcast. Then. Has anyone got anything else they want to mention or talk about or plug or anything else? Um, I, I've i got an article in the Blizzard, which I'm really pleased about. Wow, are you hipster. Uh, I know, right? It's, it's three and a half thousand words on a football play and uh, an interview with Patrick Marber, who wrote it. So it's about as achingly hipster as you can possibly manage. It's not even really about football. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I would suggest everyone gets the blizzard anyway, because it's really good. Um, but, yeah, that's that's my little plug. Were you wearing a trendy flat cap and have a beard when you did it? Uh, I've always got a beard, yeah. I was probably wearing some sort of check shirt as well at the time. Elbow patches. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, something like that. So that's on the Blizzard, is it? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's in the Blizzard, yeah. Excellent. Okay, Mark, any football pinks left? Uh, yeah, one or two. Just one or two. Any Sheffield Star things to look out for, Laura? Uh, every week on a Friday. Yeah? What's in tomorrow's? Uh, or, or this week, because it'll be out by the time people listen to this. So what's in this week's? It's about uh, resting players during the international break and why we need it. Ryan, anything you want to mention? Uh, no, I've got, no, I've got not actually got anything to plug, I'm afraid. Oh. <laughs> Poor Ryan. Okay. Oh. Well, I'll tell you what, give us your Twitter name. If you want to follow you, how do they do that? Uh, my Twitter handle is at the Ryan Goodman. Okay, Mark, if I want to follow you? At the Football Pink. Laura? Uh, it's at E-I-Store, and that's uh, Y-I-C-E-T-O-R. Do you know when you came up with that all those years ago, do you think you'd have to spell it every five minutes? <laughs> to be fair, I only have to spell it out for you. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, if you want to follow you? At A-F-H Stuart with an E-W. Okay. 
All right, guys. Well, thank you ever so much for listening. I don't think there's any um, Sunday show this week, but you're still more than welcome to uh, rate and review us on iTunes. You can download this again from Acast and our Acast overlords. Uh, Manofthepost.com is the website. We're always looking for people to uh, write articles for us as well. So you can email Chris at Manofthepost.com if there's anything you would like to write. Uh, thank you ever so much for listening. Thank you guys for coming on. No problem. No worries. Thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers. And all that means to be said is always leave your man on the post. Can I start at this again? I just had a phone call. Sure. Is it Graham Hunter? No. <laughs> it's my mum, Mark. You probably know. All right. Okay. Say hello. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why she's ringing me. She never ever calls me. Say hello from all the lads at the Glasgow Dog. Right, sorry, I'm going to have to start the whole thing again. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, sorry.